Sing your own phenomenon, you can't live life Yes, and so I'm telling you just exactly what to do Cause you can't have to pay some advice Pay the price Good morning and welcome to episode 775 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hi, Ben. Hello. How you doing? All right. Good. Anything to talk about? Not really. We'll see what you want to talk about. What do you want to talk about? A lot of times when you say, not really, you have something. It depends. Depends what the topic is. Okay, wait, wait. Is. All right. First, let me ask you. Uh, okay. What is the fourth letter of the thing that you might have to talk about, a vowel or a consonant? Last name or first name? Last. Last name. <laughs> consonant. Is it a consonant that comes before or after <laughs> L in the alphabet? It comes directly after. Okay. So you want to talk about Jordan Zimmerman? Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk about Jordan Zimmerman. Good. I think we'll just talk about Zimmerman. We'll talk about Hap. For the people who don't know who either of those people are, welcome to the baseball show. <laughs> Jay Happ signed a three-year, $36 million contract to play baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays. Jordan Zimmerman signed a five-year deal, what, 110 Yep. $110 million, which is a significant number, uh, which we'll get to in a second. But five years, $110 million to play baseball for the Detroit Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um and it's significant because, just to get this out of the way, you had Jordan Zimmerman in your free agent offseason <laughs> movers. Yeah, uh, that's the draft. primary reason. Uh, you thought that Jim – we Bowden. were saying Bowden and someone emailed uh, Furious <laughs> that it's Bowden. Yes. I still don't know. Jim Bowden in a sock puppet account emailed us. Who said that uh, – uh, he said $120 million. Mm-hmm. You took the over on that. I did. Did he say five years or six? Do you remember? He said six and 120, I believe. Yes, he did. And so you thought that he would get six but a higher AAV. Yeah, that was – it wasn't uh, – I wasn't going for a, a huge gain on that one, but I thought it was a safe pick. It turned out not to be. I no. thought he might get, you know, 130 or something. I thought it, it, I thought he wouldn't get below 120. A listener named Daniel actually emailed us last week to point out that the five-year deal is sort of a donut hole that pitchers don't really fall into. He noted that since 2006, the only pitcher to get a five-year deal and be less than 35 years old was Anibal Sanchez in 2012. Could have seen like 144. I could have seen a, could have happened, yeah. a nice 144 there. But uh, instead, well, uh, yeah, no, he didn't. So you take a little hit there. Anyway, he's uh, he's going to be playing baseball next year. Jay Happ will be playing baseball next year. Both of them will be. And they're, uh, I guess if you wanted to, to create a, a theme or something for this episode, they're two in some ways extremely opposite free agent cases. Jay Happ was, uh, was a pretty bad pitcher who, um, uh, who then suddenly became – like Rich Hill, for goodness sakes, uh, in the final 11 starts of the season once he joined Pittsburgh. Uh, and Jordan Zimmerman was one of baseball's most consistent pitchers uh, for years. And then uh, just as he was hitting his walk year, uh, hit some, uh, had had a, a little bit of, a, of an off year, although um, some have argued, uh, maybe we will argue that in fact, uh, within that off year, there was that same uh, consistency. Um, so there are uh, two different cases and, of course, uh, two different types of pitchers. So which should we start with? Start with Hap. All right. 
So uh, Hap gets three years, $36 million. Rich Hill gets one year, $6 million. I I understand completely that I need to get over Rich Hill. <laughs> I know. The whole family at Thanksgiving made this point to me. It was awkward. Uh, but uh, why do I love Rich Hill but I don't love Jay Hap? Because Jay Hap really for 11 starts was – about as good. Like he struck out ten per nine. He walked fewer than two per nine. He had an ERA under two. It was like a. It was a genuine. It was a Medlin esque run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 yet, while you quite rightfully have uh, lots of doubts about Rich Hill uh, because of his past, uh, I feel like I am uh, very ungenerous toward Jay Happ. Mm-hmm. What do you suppose it is that makes? Uh, him that I don't know that makes me what Ben tell me why I don't like this deal <laughs> is it that we've seen more of Hap not being this kind of pitcher yes he, I think it is he was not this kind of pitcher as recently as last season when we saw him pitching in the major leagues for a while it seemed like he was not this kind of pitcher and there's a long track record of Jay Hap just being kind of okay or not even okay whereas Rich Hill just sort of disappeared into the phone booth and came out wearing a new costume and he was suddenly an ace and then the season ended before we could see anything different so our whole recent memory of rich hill is ace rich hill i knew a couple of kids when i was in about third fourth grade whose uh whose family was missionaries they would they would go down to uh south america they had a, a mission in south america and they would disappear for three years and then come back for two months. And nobody seemed cooler to me than those kids when they came back <laughs> for those first couple days. And in retrospect, I don't think they were that cool. But like they, had the, they hadn't shown me the day-in, day-out mediocrity that right. we all show. Yeah. And like they'd show up with new toys and none of the baggage that comes from like sitting in class with them for six hours a day uh-huh. uh, and having them ask you what time it is because they never learned how to read a clock. Yeah. It's now, like, imagine if we only did one show a week, how good or, would that one show be? You're on to something. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so that is probably it. And so Hap though, um, is partly a, um, Ray Searage, uh, success story, right? As yeah. people have noted, he went to Pittsburgh with uh, the everybody's favorite pitching coach for the moment and immediately became a superstar. Uh, it is also, I think, been pointed out, though, that it is not merely a Searage thing. Matt Trueblood wrote about uh, how the changes that Hap uh, has, has made were actually a, a gradual process that a number of pitching coaches over the last couple years can claim credit for various parts of them, and you could see a sort of an, a, a, a steady growth Toward this, um, toward this breakout, uh, which I guess would make the breakout seem a little realer. Pakoda thinks not real. Pakoda thinks that he's a replacement level pitcher, which is, I mean, he's thirty. He's at, he's almost as old as Rich Hill, for goodness sake. He's he's going to be thirty three. He's got a thousand career innings. He's never been anything more than you know, basically a below average pitcher. And then suddenly, for eleven starts, he's an ace. So it, I don't know. <laughs> well, what's the three years and 36 is not as big Who, as it sounds, maybe? It's not that big. It's mm-hmm. 
three years is uh, a long time to commit to a guy who's been good for 11 starts. I guess you could say, what's the downside? What? Well, the, I mean, he is at least he does offer something that Rich Hill doesn't offer, which is that he's in the majors every year mm-hmm. uh, and can at least you know be an arm. And who knows? If maybe he fails and you make him a reliever and he becomes Trevor Cahill or something. Whereas if Rich Hill fails, uh, he's uh, rehabbing in uh, uh, the AZL League. Um, so I guess that all goes in his favor. And he isn't, I don't know. I mean, I think of J-Hap as like a finesse guy, as a junk baller, right? Don't you yeah. think of J-Hap as a guy who, he's a soft tosser. Uh, he, I mean, the big thing, the, the first thing I think of when I hear J-Hap is that guy who five years ago, some scout told some reporter that he's a Cliff Lee type. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yeah. And I've been, well, for one thing, that was hysterical. Uh, but for another, Cliff Lee comps are one of those comps that are instant death, if you really think about it. Like, uh, I, what was it? Somebody, I've been trying to remember where I read this, but some team has outlawed uh, Dallas Keuchel comps in their scouting department. Because uh-huh. it's it's just a way of saying uh, this is a bad pitcher, but phrasing it in a way that makes it seem like he's a good pitcher. And there have been a few guys like that uh, in history. Jamie Kevin Goldstein introduced me to this concept, introduced all of us to this concept, when I think he said that Jamie Moyer comps are uh, – you can't use Jamie Moyer comps. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's basically the same thing. You're you're trying to say something nice about the guy. It sounds like you're saying something nice about the guy, but there are a million Jamie Moyer types and one Jamie Moyer, and so really it's a terrible thing to say about a player. And so when you say he's a Cliff Lee type, you're kind of saying the same thing. Cliff Lee was uh, like a freak of nature, and n- you, nobody you know could have seen that really coming. Um, so. Anyway, that is all to say that when I think J-Hap, I think, you know, 90, 91, movement, location, breaking stuff. And he actually, he averaged 93 with his fastball by the end of last year. He -hmm. is almost entirely a fastball pitcher at this point. He was throwing 90% fastballs by the end of the year, almost 90% fastballs by the end of the year, uh, which is, I guess, all interesting and that, in fact, Maybe I just don't know that much about Jay Happ. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I have an old idea about Jay Happ. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm so I resist. That happens. We all have like uh, we all have cached versions of players, sort of in our oh, head. Yeah. You know. Like yeah. You need cached to do a hard version re- of a website where you need to do, do a, a hard, hard refresh, refresh to see the new thing. It's like the like the Wayback Machine takes a snapshot of a website on a certain day and you can see what it looked like that day and we all have snapshots of players from a certain day when we watch that player or we read about that player or we looked at that player's stats and you can't have an up-to-date snapshot on every player so sometimes you are a little bit out of date and maybe if that player does a bunch of different stuff all of a sudden then you have a really out-of-date snapshot about that player but I don't know Jeff Sullivan wrote about him course and pointed out that it was a transition from better opponents to worse opponents going to the national league and now he's going back to the american league and he's a guy who had a lot of called strikeouts which are somewhat less sustainable than the swinging kind and of course he was 
throwing to an excellent framer. I guess he'll still be throwing to a pretty good framer. So, you know, he's obviously not second half hap, and he wasn't paid like second half hap. He was paid like something between first and second half hap. Yeah, it is something between, and it is probably a lot closer to first half hap than second half. I mean, if if anybody had actually bought second half hap at second half hap prices, <laughs> then we're talking about a hundred and eighty million dollar free agent. And so, you know, you're. I don't think anybody, obviously, obviously, I don't think anybody even expects that as his upside. Uh, but you are getting a discount at a guy who you know you're sort of hoping can still be a. A good number two, which brings up the question of Toronto's rotation. Is there anything particularly different about what Toronto has done building their rotation than what the Red Sox did last year and that everybody paid a ton of attention to uh, the no aces model? I guess with the Blue Jays, they have they're they're sort of fortunate to have Marcus Stroman who might who might perhaps uh, be or become an ace. But it is a lot of number three slash four guys with maybe some upside. Uh, is there anything about what the Blue Jays are doing uh, that doesn't merit merit comparisons to what the Red Sox did, and is that actually bad, or are we only am I only thinking that because the Red Sox season turned out so bad? Yeah, I mean, there's probably some universe where the Red Sox plan would have worked out okay, and maybe it's the universe where Hanley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval aren't the worst players in baseball, mm-hmm. but or where their five starters didn't collectively all suck. Yeah, right. Um, well, are the Blue Jays, are we confident that they're done, that this is their opening day rotation? I don't know. Well, they've got six on mm-hmm. hand. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I guess I'm not super confident, but I'm yeah. kind of confident. Sure. Yeah. Well, they seem to think Stroman was better than David Price in the playoffs for a while there. So maybe they think that. They did just trade for David Price. So it's not like they don't do the ace thing. But uh, maybe, yeah, maybe they think Stroman is one. Yeah, or maybe they figure that, I don't know, maybe they figure they can get the ace in July if it looks like they need the ace. That mm-hmm. it's. I guess you can maybe, hmm, hmm, Ben, hmm. Yeah. Is it conceivable that, that it's worth tremendously overpaying for aces uh, at July, for three months of the ace at July? instead of committing seven, six years to them right now when you don't even know if you're going to be playing in the postseason that year or any year? Is that, uh-huh. I mean, I don't know. It does sort of seem like when you put it that way, when you think about what the Blue Jays gave up to get the ace in mm-hmm. July, uh, relative to $180 million commitment, it's awfully low. Yeah. So maybe they just figure, eh, we can always trade, you know, another top 30 prospect and put together a package and get that guy if it feels like we need him but people lose their jobs if they sign the wrong seven-year guy yeah that's true maybe maybe that was the red sox plan less risky plan yeah maybe the red sox would have traded for the ace if they hadn't started terribly and maybe uh the fact that the red sox didn't end up needing the ace and wouldn't have uh even if they like you know if the red sox had signed who was last offseason's ace Oh, Lester and Scherzer. Right. So maybe if they had signed Scherzer, they still would have sucked. They still wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the playoffs. And now they've got a contract that has the potential to blow up on them. So maybe, in fact, uh, in a way of looking at it, Uh maybe the Red Sox validated their choice. (laughs) 
No yeah. one will remember it that way, but maybe no. they did. Yeah, maybe you have a point. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, what last question about Jay Hap? What would he have gotten uh, if he'd been? Well, was he a free agent last year? Jay Hap doesn't seem like the kind of guy who has a lot of multi-year deals, but he might not have hit free agency yet. Jay Hap yeah, last he was, year. He was traded last winter. Last winter he was traded for Michael Saunders. Oh yeah. And then he was traded again at the deadline for Adrian Sampson, who is a baseball player, Triple mm-hmm. A, yeah, twenty-three-year-old pitcher. Uh huh. To the extent of my knowledge about Adrian Sampson, All so right. we got two valuations of Jay Happ in the last year. All right. So if Jay Happ had been, uh, let's say Jay Happ uh, had. Uh, uh, what's a injury that absolutely does not in any way possibly linger or suggest bad things? Sprained his ankle? Is that a good one? Sure. Broke his toe. Broke his toe. Okay. Let's, let's say J-Hap broke his toe on July 30th, 2015 and hit free agency. What contract does, does broken toe J-Hap get? Well, uh, he gets less than Rich Hill. Yeah, like like one in... He gets, what is Adrian Sampson worth? That's what he was worth at that point. So, Adrian, what, what do you know? Well, not only that, but that's only for two months. Right. Of J-Hat. That's not even for a full year. True. Of J-Hat. Of course, that's also them shedding the salary uh-huh. uh, that they owed him. And I think he was, he was making seven last year. So, you know, they also shed three million, two million or so. Mm-hmm. I would guess... Oh, geez. J-Hap. It's interesting, too, that the Blue Jays signed him because the Blue Jays uh, spent the most time with bad Hap of any team in baseball. <laughs> That's true. Like, no team has committed more innings and money to bad J-Hap, uh-huh. bad version of J-Hap than Toronto. Yeah. It's almost like your girlfriend who... Like, it, it's like if, if your girlfriend was the girl in She's All That uh-huh. before... Freddie Prince Jr. put the gla- took the glasses off. Right. Like you would like her more than like obviously the whole school's into her because she's dancing and everything like that. But yeah, you would probably be especially into her. Maybe it's like yeah, they already know they like his personality. Maybe yes, exactly. They've already lived with him, and Just, now they're attracted to him too. Exactly. Like yeah. you never would have. I mean, it was really the glasses were all that were between you and yeah, and her in the first place. Right. So all Ray right, Searage so, took off his glasses, and now they want him back. So J App, previous three seasons, ERA plus is 86, 90, 90. It was 82 in Seattle, the worst of his career, although uh, with a somewhat better FIP. No FIP under four in that time and a max of 100 and never qualified for an ERA title since 2009 before last year. So you're talking about a guy who uh, does not necessarily pitch regularly does not pitch at even a league average rate uh, or even particularly close and does not have a good trajectory. <laughs> but maybe you'd say, oh, but I saw these adjustments that he's been making. So like one year, four and a half, does that seem too high? No, that yeah, seems about right. All right, one year, four and a half. So that dude made 11 starts <laughs> and got 32 more million dollars. Yeah. And and I'm fi- I mean I'm fi- it's not that I'm not fine with that but Rich Hill <laughs> Yeah, Ray Searage should start getting a percentage on these yeah. contracts. Ray Searage as a player agent he slash should. I mean if Mark Anthony can start an agency then Ray Searage can. Mark Anthony the singer. Yes. You, what kind of agent? Baseball. 
Oh, Mark agent. Anthony's a baseball agent. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Who are yeah. his clients? Aroldis Chapman. Really? Yeah. He took some actual established agents with him, sort of in the way that Jay-Z did. So he has, uh, looks like they're specializing in Hispanic players. No kidding. Mm-hmm. I did not know that, and I do not any longer care. <laughs> okay. All right. Next, we go to Jordan Zimmerman. Uh, Zimmerman, uh, I think that the you know, the best angle on Zimmerman, the thing most worth talking about is what RJ spent most of his time talking about in the transaction analysis, which is how much we care about a decline in velocity. Uh, Zimmerman's velocity dropped about a mile per hour last year, uh, and... Uh, of course, we know that most pitchers have a hard time holding on to their velocity the older they get. And so when we see this right before free agency, of course, we extrapolate and say, well, he's losing his stuff. He's getting old. And the fact that it coincided with um, a below average year for him uh, looks even worse. Uh, is this the wrong way to analyze pitchers or is this the best way to analyze pitchers? Well, it's... Not surprising that that happened to him in that he's, you know, about to turn 30 and pitchers lose velocity and and it would be stranger if he hadn't lost any velocity, maybe. But uh, I think, yeah, you should take it into account as he mentioned and linked to you saying everyone loses velocity and therefore maybe we should pay more attention to the adjustments you make to losing that velocity and i don't know whether his adjustments were encouraging or not you know he struck out fewer guys and he gave up a bunch of homers way more homers than he's ever given up before and he was still pretty good i mean he still threw 200 innings and was an above average pitcher so you could look at that as a positive or a negative i mean if he had just lost velocity and pitched exactly the same I think he'd probably make more money, or we wouldn't worry about it as much. But he lost velocity, and he also pitched worse. So that seems like a bad thing. There's also the fact that he's at the point, roughly, where pitchers who had one Tommy John surgery tend to have a second. It's about four and a half years on average, so he's getting closer to that. So you believe the mainly what you're saying he pitched worse is that you believe that some element of the BABIP is true and some element of the home run per fly ball is true even though those are two of the three uh legs of the bad luck stool yeah i don't know i mean his babbit wasn't crazy it was exactly the same as his 2014 babbit actually so his his home runs he was a guy who always suppressed home runs and then he stopped doing that and he struck out fewer batters still has excellent control obviously so he struck out fewer. I mean, he struck out fewer batters than than in one year, but he struck out his career average of batters. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Basically, yeah. So I uh, so it's really just the home runs, and and as we know, home runs can fluctuate. That can be a partially a luck thing too. So I you know I wasn't that down on him. That's why I took the over on on Bowden's prediction. So the, and and the Babbitt, by the way, the Babbitt was more or less what it was in 2014, but it was a, a career high for a full season from him, and it is 10 points higher than his career average. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so are you um, are you surprised that it's the Tigers? Another, uh, by the way, I, I guess in prefacing that, another great Matt Trueblood piece that was written uh, this offseason looked at the AL Central and how 
going into this offseason, the five AL Central teams, you really couldn't necessarily predict what any of them was going to do because you couldn't really predict which would see themselves as buyers and which would see themselves as sellers. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of them had uh, cases to be made for buying. Uh, and all of them have either cases to be made for selling or severe limitations, restrictions on what they can do. And the Tigers were one of those teams where you can either talk yourself into this being the the really the last, last gasp of the window that we thought last year might have been the last crack at. Or you could look at it as a team that's in a lot of ways in a fairly bad state. Uh, long-term and that might be looking to rebuild. Uh, Al Avila uh, said that he wanted to win in 2016, that that was his plan, and uh, he has made three moves for 2016. So clearly uh, he's he sees the Tigers as buyers. Uh, and this is kind of the offseason that you would have expected the Tigers to have had four years ago uh, or three years ago or two years ago or one year ago. It's the classic Tigers offseason, but the Tigers are also in a very, very different place than they were those years. They are no longer the clear favorite in the AL Central. They are not the team that has, it seems like, a 15-game head start on the rest of their opponents. They might be 15 games behind some of their opponents uh, and putting an awful lot of long-term investment or, I guess, long-term liabilities uh, into this team. Uh, So are the Tigers setting themselves up for something that could be really ugly for a long time? Or uh, is this a team that's actually pretty close and that can withstand uh, to have a couple contracts like Zimmerman's anyway? Yeah, I mean, it does cost them a draft pick because Zimmerman was a qualifying offer guy, but only a second-round pick because their first-round pick is protected. So that sets them back a little bit. I don't think the terms of the deal... I mean, we're all sort of surprised by the terms of the deal, so it's not a albatross the way that the Verlander and Cabrera extensions seem to be and they're already locked into those and they're not getting out of those so there's the thought that they should just you know try to patch things together for as long as those guys are good and productive and Justin Verlander was good and productive again very good and very productive again so maybe they figure just as the last gasp of those guys They want to do something because if they rebuild now, then they'll still be stuck with those guys by the time the team is, you know, good again, but those guys won't be good. So there's enough there that you can kind of see them building around the bones of what's left. I mean, they were pretty terrible after trading Price and Cespedes, so it's kind of hard to envision but at the same time i mean i don't know are we going to go into next year thinking that the royals are overwhelming favorites again probably not and i am pretty high on the indians this year i think this year might be the year that we see the indians people thought we would see in 2014 so it's not like a pushover division the way it was a couple years ago it seems like there might be a few good teams in this division and of course the twins almost made the playoffs last year and that took everyone by surprise but this year they'll have a full season of Miguel Sano and the guys they brought up so it's not a weak division where you can just sign a good free agent and waltz to the title the way that the Tigers did for several years in a row but I can kind of see why they don't, I mean, you know, I, there's always the ownership question. 
because they have an old owner, do they are they less willing to go in for the long term tear down? And maybe that was a condition of when he hired up. Uh, he didn't want someone to do that. So we don't know what's going on beyond the scenes. But I mean, they have the closer. They have a good number two starter. So you can kind of squint and see this team being better. They have Cameron Mabin now. There's enough left in the lineup. There is an actual heart of the order if Victor Martinez is healthy this year. So I guess I guess they're close enough to try this. Yeah, I think I I definitely think that they're close enough to try this. Um, they I mean this is not a team that I have to stretch too hard to see winning. Uh, 89 games if some things break right or even more than that it's a you know it's got the potential uh i think to to be a a decent team uh even a good team potentially it's i guess the the question is whether their 2017 2018 etc outlooks because it does it it could get really ugly like like cabrera is still good and verlander is arguably still good um but and Victor Martinez, you know, is arguably has the chance to be good. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that he was. But uh, like 2017, 2018, the chances of those things get even worse. The costs for those guys get even higher. And the prospects that they have coming are not existent, uh, although slightly better thanks to the trades. Uh, and so the question is whether being having a really bad outlook in 2018 uh, makes it more necessary to try for 2016 or more necessary to not take a long shot in 2016 or whether it's totally irrelevant because 2018 is so far away and our forecasting abilities are so bad and uh, who knows what we'll prioritize in our lives then anyway that uh, you should just ignore 2018 and and look at this team the way you would look at any other team that has something like a 78 to 82 win projection uh, for next year and the potential to move up uh, with a move or two. Yeah. So who do you pick in the AL Central right now? And I don't mean with the rosters right now, but you have to now say you you have to bet on this. You have to guess what everybody's going to do in this offseason. Uh, and you've sort of seen where each team is positioning itself a little bit based on the rumors and the moves that they have or haven't made. Who wins the AL Central next year and who finishes second? I think the Indians will win. And second, I guess the Royals? Okay. It'll be very interesting to see what happens to the Tigers if Mike Illich ever stops being the living owner. Yeah. Because it's really like almost every year it's easy to fit their moves into – the narrative that got established six or seven years ago that he's an old dude who really wants to win a World Series mm-hmm. and just doesn't care about the things that we care about when we're analyzing. Yeah. And uh, it will be interesting to see whether that's at all true. It will. All right. So those are two signings that happened. They sure did. All right. So you can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. By the way, if you're hearing this on Monday before midnight Pacific, you can buy our book for 30% less than you'll be able to tomorrow if you go to Amazon and enter the coupon code HOLIDAY30, which expires at midnight Pacific. The book costs, I think, fifteen ninety-three if you use that coupon code. So you could put a pre-order in. 
The book, by the way, is called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, although, of course, you can just search for one of our names. And you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Lots of people did leave reviews after Thanksgiving, which was nice. And you can support our sponsor, The Play Index. Go to baseballreference.com, use the coupon code BP, get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow.